It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's guest is CEO Rohit Tibrawala, a highly motivated and entrepreneurial leader Rohit brings to Roja, a fast-growing manufacturer of specialty food ingredients for various food and beverage industries, an intense focus on creating a customer-centric and employee-friendly focused organization while maximizing shareholder value. Rohit has been responsible for Roja's USA organization since 2001 and has gained remarkable market share in less than 10 years under highly competitive market conditions. Rohit lives in St. Louis with his wife and two boys. Rohit Tibbalawala, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brian. My pleasure. Great to have you here today. Well, we like to start with uh, some background data and you know, hear a little bit about the early years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your family life was like. So I'm originally from India. And uh, you know, when I was growing up in India, uh, we grew up in a joint family, which is kind of a foreign concept here in the Western world. So just, uh, you know, in a joint family, my father... Kind of multi-generational or was it uncles and cousins as well? Multi-generation. So my grandmother and uh, three of her sons. So basically my father and two of his brothers and then nine of us. So nine uh, children. All that's of a us, big family. Uh, yeah, all <laughs> of us. <laughs> yes. So that's how I grew up in India. Yeah. What, what, what city did you uh, were raised in? So we, uh, my father uh, moved around a lot, uh, but I think, uh, so this uh, fa- uh, joint family was in Jaipur, which is in the northern part of uh, India. And then uh, in the later part, he moved uh, closer to Mumbai. Got it, got it. And uh, with, with all those family members, kind of where did you sit in the, par- in the pecking order? Were you one of the older uh, sons, kind of in the middle, uh, you know, the youngest group? Where, where did you sit? Uh, to be exactly precise, I think I was probably number three. Okay, all right. In the nine, so pretty, I mean, uh, about Higher the middle. Higher tier, upper yeah, tier. High, upper tier, right. <laughs> Good. And uh, Dad, what, what type of work did he do? Uh, he had his own business. So we are a middle-class family, so he had a small business that uh, he was managing. And what, and what type of business was that? So he was, again, as I said, he kept moving. So uh, when we were uh, in Jaipur, you know, he had some fabrication business uh, okay. that he was doing. And then later on, he moved uh, and he started a textile business. So he was into textiles. Got it. Got it. Cool. And mom, was she pretty much uh, focused on the family or did your mother work as well? No, my mother did not work. So she was a wife. Uh, she was a housewife uh, all along. 
So who were some of the early influences in your life? Did uh, dad play a big role in that? Was it more maybe some older cousins or, you know, uncles and, 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 and nephews? You know, where, who, who are some of the folks that you perhaps, uh, you know, took some lessons from early on? I said, I think, uh, you know, the biggest lesson for me uh, was just the whole entire uh, family dynamic, uh, which I actually miss now. You know, I really wish that uh, more people had that kind of family dynamics because when you're growing up with uh, almost 20 people living in the house, you know, that teaches you a lot. It's like a small town. It's like a small town. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I- I lived in Singapore for for about 10 years, Rohit, and, you know, was exposed to the Indian, Malay, and Chinese communities. And, you know, I had a great respect and appreciation. I think so many lessons were learned by the respect of elders and, you know, what others did to help out. And, um, you know, you all had to kind of contribute in in a family that size. Yes, absolutely. So that just the whole dynamic has been very influential. And, you know, now when you see the world around you and, you know, when I compare, uh, uh, those learnings of my life uh, when I was growing up, you know, I really miss that. I wish that, uh, you know, a lot more people had that kind of learning and experience. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's something that's really missing in the Western culture. You know, there's a lot of wisdom, particularly with the older grandparents and those that are around that, uh, you know, can share the, those life lessons. And uh, I remember fondly my grandparents, but, you know, they lived far away and maybe I saw them three or four times a year. It'd be very different uh, living with them day in and day out. Uh, were, were were you a good student in school, Rohit? Uh, yes, I was always sincere, you know, very obedient. Uh, I was not the best performer as I was growing up, but I think uh, about uh, 10th grade, that kind of changed. So since 10th grade, I have been a pretty good performer as well. Yeah, awesome. And uh, did you go to the equivalent of what we would call public schools here, or was it a private institution? So, again, in India, public schooling is uh, not at par with the Western world. So, the public schooling is very poor in India. So, most of the children or most of the middle class families uh, do send their kids to uh, private schools. So, yes, I was very fortunate uh, to have my education in private school. And actually, that was one of the things that my father really uh, invested in, if I may Right, because he had limited resources, and I think he put a lot of his resources in educating. Uh, we were three siblings, so education was a very primary objective for him, and he sent us to the best schools that he could afford. And did you have any early areas of study that you, you know, kind of took to math, science, uh, language? Yeah, so I've always uh, been uh, a math uh, uh, admirer, or you know, math. Uh, I would say good in math. Uh, language has never been my uh, greatest uh, subject or greatest skills. So, uh, yes, I have been uh, good with math. You know, I had a very brief uh, uh, introduction to computers when I was uh, in the early part of my high school, ninth and 10th grade. Uh, and then uh, I had to choose between uh, engineering and uh, accounting, finance. And uh, I kind of found myself to be more of a financial person. So from mid-high school, I kind of took the path of uh, business and finance. And any outside uh, activities, outside of class, sports? I guess cricket was probably pretty popular when you were growing up in India. Music, theater, what what were some of your interests? So again, you know, uh, it's all relative and comparative. So when I see my kids are growing up here, so I have two boys now, uh, 15 and uh, 11. 
and uh, you know the opportunities that they have you know they can lay their hand on any sport and uh, they can try it out in fact they keep trying different sports uh, every uh, three to six months uh, we were not that fortunate uh, you know we had limited resources uh, you know as you said uh, cricket was the only sport that was being played uh, uh, at mass scale you know you would get on the streets and start playing cricket yeah yeah right and uh, <laughs> anything beyond that was out of reach yeah, but, sure. Uh, so, no, no, no club play or any no, kind of yeah, no, yeah. not much, yeah, not much. Yeah. It was more more fun out in the streets. And you know, another uh, key difference that you know we certainly have discovered in doing the podcast series because we've had a number of immigrants like yourself that have you know been very successful here. But again, knowing from my time overseas, you know, doing entrepreneurial things as a kid is quite common in the U.S. You know, whether it's a paper route or selling lemonade. We had one CEO who was the youngest sister of three boys and she folded the papers for her older brothers for the paper routes what was there any kind of thing like that growing up was there extra spending money that you could earn in india or were you pretty focused on your education uh, i say that uh, you know in family when you're growing up uh, in india that one thing is uh, is not there where you don't have to earn your money as you are growing up as a child your parents provide uh, provide for almost everything and for as long as you are studying so no we did not have to uh, earn money for anything but uh, then again you know uh, after the 10th grade so when I got into the 11th grade uh, I was required to go and attend the office with my father so my uh, so my so we, we call it a junior college in India 11th and 12th and uh, so when I got into the junior college the college was morning so I would be done by two o'clock. So after two o'clock until at least six or seven I had to go and attend the office. Ah. And did you actually work there? Yes, I had to. So I had specific tasks assigned and I would have to go and complete those tasks. So yes, I have been involved with my father's business since I was in 11th grade. Got it. And and I don't suspect you were paid for that. Is that correct? No, no payment. <laughs> <laughs> it was expected. You were earning your room and board, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So the, the, the only thing I was paid was a bicycle and I would use my bicycle to come from home to the office. <laughs> <laughs> to go back and forth. Oh, that's great. Yes. Well, was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you would go on to college, Rohit? Yes, that was a must. That was a requirement because, uh, again, you know, uh, my dad had made it very clear that, uh, you know, because he did, uh, as I said, education was uh, very important for him. And, uh, you know, when we got out of school, uh, it was very clear that uh, either we have to take up some professional course or he would just end our education right there. <laughs> and, and he put all three of your siblings through uh, private school? Yes, all three of us. In fact, we all went to boarding schools uh, in all India. All went to boarding schools. Yeah. Right? So we all and all went on to college as well? All Yes, all three of us uh, finished our colleges. In fact, my brother and I, both of us, uh, we went into professional uh, courses and we both completed our professional careers. And um, I know that in Europe, the educational system is is different. And I, I imagine in some ways, perhaps India was based on the, the British system. Was there kind of streaming um, you know, into certain areas of study at an earlier age, or did you have some choice around what you studied going into college? So there were choices. It's again, you know, it's not as vast as the U.S. education system, uh, and uh, you know, so we did have. Uh, uh, I, I told you I went to a boarding school, and uh, we had the international uh, board, where uh, you know uh, we had about uh, five core subjects which everybody had to do. And that we had two optional subjects uh, in the ninth and tenth grade, 
So we had some options and we chose, so I chose uh, accounting. And then uh, from middle school, like from 11th grade onwards, uh, there are choices. You can go engineering, medical, whatever you want. So there are, and again, I, as I mentioned earlier, I chose accounting and finance. You like the finance, yeah. Like, accounting that's area. where I continued. And then did you go on and achieve a master's degree or did you go to work right after your bachelor's? No, so I completed my, uh, my bachelor's in uh, accounting and finance. And uh, fortunately in India, uh, right when I was uh, starting, in fact, I was the first uh, batch to have gone through uh, the equivalent of the CPA course, which is referred to as Chartered Accountants. Uh, before my batch, you had to complete your graduation and then go through a four years course to complete your Chartered Accountancy. When I went into 12th grade, uh, they changed the course where we could start our uh, CA course uh, in parallel with our uh, college. So I was very lucky. So I was doing my college and I was doing my professional course at the same time. And I kind of completed that at the same time as well. So did you go right into an accountancy position? Was that your first job out of college? Uh, no. So I was, uh, again, during that accountancy course, you had to do internship for at least three years. So while I was in college, you know, again, I would go college in the morning and my accountancy uh, internship. So I had to work for an accounting firm uh, in the afternoon. But then when I completed that, you know, we are growing up in a smaller city, you know, came from an entrepreneur family. My father had a business and he said that, you know, I would rather have you do a business so he pushed me and he said, okay, you know, you've learned this business with me since uh, you were in 11th grade. So why don't you go and start this business in a, a different town? Ah, okay. Got so it. I was uh, kind of sent out uh, to a remote town I had never heard of, had wow. never seen. And I uh, just packed my bags and went there and started my business. And you were what, 19, 20 at the time? Uh, 21. 21. Wow. Terrific. So kind of got a little bit of seed money and then uh, started on your entrepreneurial path. Yes, yes. And then what brought you ultimately uh, to America? So again, working, uh, trying to work on that business uh, at 21, you know, I spent uh, one and a half years. Uh, obviously, you know, the market was not uh, that big and, uh, you know, it didn't seem as if uh, there was a significant future. Uh, in that, and at that time, uh, you know, Roha, Roha was kind of, uh, Roha is owned by my uncle, uh, it's my father's cousin, and uh, he was uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, starting to venture uh, uh, beyond India, you know, he was growing, and, uh, you know, he was uh, doing pretty good, so. Now, was father, he one of the uncles that lived in the extended family growing no, up? No, no, He was no, not, okay. No, he was not. So, my father kind of, you know, is spoke to me and he said that, uh, you know, he's growing and it might be a good idea for you to maybe join him. And uh, so I decided to uh, wind up my uh, business venture and I joined Roja uh, when I was 23. Excellent. Cool. And uh, having worked with Roja for about uh, two years in India, uh, we wanted to start uh, our business in the U.S. And I think... Uh, just uh, that's where, uh, you know, we hired some people, a couple of people here, uh, you know, to help us get through. And then uh, within a year, uh, we realized that uh, if we really wanted to be successful here, it's important for uh, somebody to be here. 
from the family from yeah. the family right and that's uh so that's when i volunteered and, so you uh, raised your hand and and took the big step yes yes, yes. <laughs> how many employees were here and how, what was the size of the business when you first came over so when i came over it was uh as i said we hired uh, two consultants so they were there and then it was just uh, me and uh, then my wife uh, was helping me so it was uh, primarily just me my wife and uh those uh, two consultants. Oh, got it. So it really hadn't started with any sales yet then? Uh, no, no, nothing, yeah. nothing. Fantastic. Wow. And today, how many employees and what's your approximate sales? So today we are, uh, so uh, I am responsible for both uh, North and South American operations uh, for Roja. So I have set up, uh, I have started and uh, set up six operations for the company uh, in North and South America. And uh, within uh, the six operations, we have uh, close to 95 employees now. And it's a food ingredient supply, correct? Yes, we manufacture uh, food ingredients. Yeah, terrific. And so, gosh, big change. Never had gone to school in the States. Had you ever visited here before you came over to start the business? And that is a funny story behind that, uh, too. You know, it is uh, when uh, we were growing up, my older brother, so my, uh, you know, I had my maternal uncle. He sent uh, quite a few of my cousins uh, to the U.S. for a two, two weeks vacation. And uh, I was somehow not able to join that because I think I was busy with my internship or something. And then, you know, it was kind of a fun that uh, all of my cousins had been to the U.S. except for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the one that's chosen to come over and get things started. Wow. And nobody knew at that point that, you know, I'll be the one who will be actually living in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, wow. Big, big change and particularly at a young age. What were some of the earliest uh, lessons you learned uh, during that time of transition? So, again, you know, means we were growing. Uh, so when we came here, uh, when Roja started in the U.S., uh, we were still a pretty uh, growing and pretty young company. And, uh, you know, our resources were very limited uh, compared to most of our competitors here in the country. So the first thing that I realized is uh, I really have to be very careful with my resources. You know, I cannot, uh, I cannot spend the resources. Uh, you know, I have to do whatever I can by myself. So obviously, you know, I didn't have any employees, so I, would, I wore all the hats. Uh, you know, I would do everything right from selling to shipping. So, you know, I would go sell during the week, come back, prepare the orders during the weekend and ship it out on Monday. So uh, I learned, uh, you know, resource management uh, was a key, uh, key uh, learning right from the beginning. And really how to do every job in the organization exactly, as well. Exactly, exactly. So today, you know, I have, and that's, that's what makes it easy for me is, uh, you know, irrespective of whatever the job is, I have done it. Yeah, right. Uh, I have done it. You know, I have right. operated the machines. I have driven yeah. forklift. You know, I have I've done it all. So yeah, cool. And how would you say your leadership style has evolved over that time since uh, first arriving to today? And it's been about seventeen years. Is that right? Yes, seventeen years. So two thousand one to now, seventeen years. Uh, again, you know, I don't. Uh, as you know, my entire learning has been with Roja. So I have grown with Roja, right? So. I started. I started uh, with uh, not uh, too many people. So you know, you start doing everything by yourself, right? And you get used to doing everything by yourself. And as the team kept uh, growing, you know, as we kept hiring new people, you know, I had to evolve and uh, kind of uh, change from uh, 
uh, making all the decisions by myself, you know, doing everything by myself, to take more of a mentoring role where, you know, I'm bringing in people, I'm teaching them, I'm mentoring them, you know, giving them some uh, uh, leeway of decision making, so, you know, kind of uh, evolve from uh, uh, doing everything yourself to kind of mentoring. I think uh, that has been the biggest uh, evolvement in my leadership sp- uh, style. Working in the business versus working on the business. Exactly. And um, today, do you have kind of a standard management structure? In other words, kind of, you know, three or four key department direct reports with peak people that kind of filter down from there? Or is it much more of a flat structure? So now we have actually, uh, you know, uh, since last 17, 18 years, you know, ROA has kind of grown significantly globally. And uh, as I said, I am responsible for the North and South American market. And uh, we have similar setups uh, all over the world. So we have, as a company, we have evolved into a matrix uh, management organization. So, you know, uh, that's what we are following now. And and then how many direct reports do you have, uh, you know, directly reporting into you? Uh, so, right, yeah. so right now I have about uh, seven of them who are directly reporting into me. Got it. And is it kind of a traditional functional areas, marketing, sales, finance, yes. um, IT? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. How do you decide with them? And again, talking specifically about their direct reports, you know, when it's time to micromanage or when to stay out of the sandbox? Uh, it's, it's uh, what we try to do typically is uh, have, uh, you know, have regular meetings, uh, you know, set expectations clear. And uh, once the expectations are clearly set, you know, for as long as they are meeting the expectations, I try to stay out of the uh, micromanagement. But uh, let's say if, uh, you know, uh, the expectations are not being met and, uh, you know, constantly there is deviation from what we are planning or trying to achieve, then uh, I guess, you know, that's time for me to kind of dive in uh, deeper. Roja has got an interesting culture in the fact that it started obviously in India and then obviously, you know, went to different parts of the world. I'm assuming some areas in Europe, as well as you leading North and South America. But what are your thoughts about building a company culture and how do you go about doing that? I think that, you know, again, uh, Roja started off as a family company and it is still, it is a, still a family owned company. So as I said, you know, my, my uncle uh, kind of started it. Now his, uh, his kids have taken on. So it's, probably third generation uh, that's uh, running the, the company. And uh, we as a company have realized that uh, corporate culture is very important. And uh, in the last uh, three, four years, actually the senior management team is working together to implement a global corporate culture. Uh, because you know when you've grown uh, so fast into uh, 26, 27 countries, uh, it's important to follow the local nuances but it's very important to have a have a corporate culture uh, because it it unites people you know now when we meet as a company we have once a year global meets and when we meet we all talk the same language uh, you know if, if we didn't have a corporate culture we all would be talking different languages right right and do you actively develop that do you kind of lead that to your people you know, in North and South America, contribute into the culture? How is your culture being formed? Yes. So basically, again, it's a globally driven uh, culture. So we, as uh, the senior management team, it's starting from the owners, actually. 
you know, they are deciding. So they decide, they come and discuss with us, look, this is what we want, this is how we want. And then it is for us, uh, the regional um, uh, CEOs, to kind of implement that within their region. Right, so uh, it's a top-down. So it still approach. comes from India, pretty much. Uh, then. Yes, but it is a it is a very consultative approach, you know, uh, because they are still trying to uh, balance that fact of uh, you know one thing about our corporate, uh, you know, about our company's culture is it's an inclusive culture. You know, we we respect we respect our people. You know, we want them to have active participation. So uh, you know, it's yes, it is all being made in India, but uh, you know, we are very much uh, involved into that as well. So are you still hiring and growing uh, your operation in North and South America? Absolutely. You know, we have a very good uh, growth rate, uh, you know, and uh, again, even though we are growing, even though we are established, uh, you know, resource management is still key. So to answer your question, are we hiring? Yes, we are hiring, but uh, we don't uh, hire at the pace at which we grow. Sure, sure. A little lag it a little bit there. That makes good sense. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? My biggest thing uh, that I look for, Brent, is uh, people with desire to grow and succeed. You know, I'm not a very big fan of uh, people who are content, you know, people who are satisfied uh, because, you know, if they don't have that uh, desire to grow, it becomes very difficult for them to work hard in a company that desires to grow. So true. Right. So my main thing that I'm looking for is for people who really want to grow, who want to give in their best. And what I tell people that I'm interviewing is, look, Roha is an opportunity for you to grow. If you want to grow, you can come join Roha. Uh, but you know, if you want to stay flat, stay stagnant, then maybe Roha is not a good company for you. <laughs> good. It's that simple. And do you get involved in hiring at uh, multiple levels within the organization, you know, beyond those that would report directly to you, uh, Rohit? Yes. So I try to get, uh, so the way we work is we work in, uh, obviously, uh, panel interview process. So we never mm -hmm. have like one right. person interview and hire. And I personally like to get involved up to two levels. So my, my direct reports and their direct reports. And then similarly, we just go down the down the uh, ladder right so i don't i don't get involved in hiring of my third team. third level yeah. yeah and so let's just take an example of that second level and if you had maybe just five minutes to interview someone that was not a direct report but a report of your direct report what would you ask them i typically ask them you know what has been the most challenging situation that they faced in their life and how did they handle it and what does that tell you about them uh, troubleshooting, uh, you know, their thought process, uh, you know, uh, their appetite for decision-making, uh, you know, uh, things like that, where, uh, again, as I said, because I'm looking for people who can help us grow. And uh, if challenges uh, scare you, <laughs> then... Not a good fit. Not a good fit, because, you know, when you are growing, growth is uh, growth comes with challenge. Well, Rohit Tribawala, you've been very generous with your time. We, we appreciate that. We've got... One last question we'd like to ask all the CEOs we have on into the corner office. And, you know, what career and life advice would you give to someone who's got their eyes on the corner office or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like you? See, my what I have learned, uh, Brent, uh, in my career is it's very easy to do things. It is very difficult to get it done. So for you to be successful, you know, you have to be respectful to people. 
you know, you have to be a mentor and not a boss. Because if you cannot train, if you cannot coach, if you cannot advise your people, sooner or later they will leave you. Well, Rohit, thank you so much. Uh, wishing you the best of success with Roja and North and South America and globally. And uh, appreciate your time with us today. Thank you, Brent. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 